how happy is the blameless vessel's lot. The world forgetting by the world forgot. Eternal sunshine of a spotless mind. Each prayer accepted and each wish resigned. Is there any risk of brain damage? Well, uh, technically speaking, the procedure is brain damage, but it's, it's on a par with a night of heavy drinking. Nothing you'll miss. What won't I miss? Hmm. It's time for a little something I forget. My notes say I'm Professor Robert E.G. Black, and I'm here with Austin Pryor from Malkovich, Malkovich Minute, Minute. And it's time to discuss Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, but they've erased. I'm being erased and... Or, I don't but know. they're erasing me What's and I have no memory of this. Right. That's what you usually say. No, I got, no, I'm reading the line, but I'm like, I don't want to play it the same way every time. No, but I'm, I'm just trying that. to help you because I know, I know what you're going through. I got a note from a company that says you're going to be deleting everybody in the movies by minutes podcasting community. And I want to be supportive of your decision, but I, mm. I worry for you. And I think, you know, of course I'm just a memory of a conversation you're having with me so you're going to lose all this information but so is that note your name on the screen is that like a memento kind of note i left for myself nathan is a prick are you nathan <laughs> that's um <laughs> well that's from a memory that logically shouldn't have been deleted yet because if it's going in reverse order uh -huh. <laughs> but who knows how these things work maybe it's random who knows i don't know what i'm trying to erase Plus, as i say i am just a memory of austin Pryor. i can't give you new information or clarify anything that you don't ah, already right. know so it is memento. <laughs> yeah. There's no new information. Good thing I have notes on something called Minute 23. Here we go. Which we're in an apartment building mailroom scene that we've already seen. It is blurry in the background, Joel in a bed in the foreground. And then right as this minute begins, it cuts so that he's in the scene. Yeah. But the other half of it is blurry. So I have the honor of being present for the very first instance of this effect well there's a number of different effects mm -hmm. you know there's all these transitions and there's all these funny effects of super focused joel in the foreground and the background being way blurred out and of mm -hmm. course gondry being gondry achieved all of these effects in camera with only right. very little cg and another post-production kind of work on it and I was wondering, do you know specifically how they did this shot? Because I've got two ideas. Well, actually, let's hear your ideas because this is a very simple one. Okay, so this is, when I'm watching it, I think that it's projected and that they synced up the frame rate of the projector and the camera and that Jim Carrey is standing physically there in front of it and that, that everything else is being re-shot. Is that right? Because I have another guess. In this scene, no, they do use that at points okay. later, I believe. And that is also a trick that I talked about last week on Groundhog Day project, because that was in my time loop with a week. Orpheus, they used a trick like that, the where they no. projected behind yeah. so that the previous scene could play the same way, but yeah. one of the actors was out of it right. and experiencing yeah. it differently. Yeah. So then the other thing that I saw in the bonus materials on the Blu-ray was this idea where they get Jim Carrey to stand in front of the camera and then behind him, this huge frame yep. with this kind of sheer material and Kate Winslet and everybody else and the street and everything is on the other side. Yeah. And so that produces this great effect of everything being blurry and the memory disappearing. Is that it? Yep. Okay, so that's how they did this one. I'm pretty sure that's how they did this one because their frame with the plastic film in it is pretty big. 
Yes. And so the edges of it are out of the frame. They just have to keep it between the camera and whatever's at the back. Yeah. And it's a very simple trick. Yeah. And even the footage I saw on the Blu-ray is like the camera pulls back because they, they finished the shot and then the camera keeps going and the guy's holding the frame just stop. Yeah. They're just holding a big frame. And you can see the whole thing. And even now that you can see the artifice of it, it's still like, it's still working. It's still amazing. You know, it still so works because it's still separating him from the exactly. action. And it's just, it's so simple and beautiful. And, and it probably worked really well for him because yeah, yeah. he is because it creates, it's blurry to him. Exactly. And that's what Gondry was saying mm -hmm. that like it produces these kind of spontaneous effects rather than working on his stupid blue screen or, you know. Right. And it's just there's several things in this movie that I assumed were post-production and weren't. I think the only real CGI is used when the street corners yeah. reverse where she's walking away from him yes because the signs reverse themselves and disappear yeah and when the bookstore disappears toward the end the blanking of the books was CGI. yeah and some of the bookstore disappearing is real because it's just it's just lights being turned right. off well and this carrie and rob's house i believe yeah. was a set they built in the back room of the bookstore oh yes so that they could do a real transition to it later yeah yeah well, no, I think there there must be a few more because the uh, the effect of Elijah Wood having two backs of his head. And no oh, yeah, front space would have to be. No, Elijah Wood can really do can that. can really do that. Wow, that is some <laughs> commitment. He's, yeah, method. And weirdly, this is the only film he's using. Yeah, right? yeah. And then there's the bit where the kind of metal fence or siding or whatever disappears yeah. one way one disappears blink, 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 blink. i think that that's would, that's an easy cgi trick yeah too. yeah it's erasing something in the dark yes yeah yeah although having rewatched some of michelle gondry's music videos today the amount of stuff he does physically is just unbelievable like i watched the hardest button to button music video from the white stripes mm. where he has white stripes playing with like every time she hits the kick drum she skips from this drum kit to another identical drum kit that's right beside it in a <laughs> row. and it's boof, boof, doof, nice. doof, doof, doof. and then it's just her and then when the doodle did it doodle it, it like an amp appears with you know jack white is standing there with the guitar and the amp and each <laughs> it's another amp and another and so and he did it by making a load of drum kits that are identical and renting a load yeah. of marshall amps that are identical and just having jack white move around it and it was just so compelling to look at and it is so all the janky imperfections the way like there's outdoor parts of it and the trees and the shadows are changing <laughs> and every time their hair changes between shots because it's all separate it's all editing tricks yeah everything that's wrong with it is right with it and it just it's it is what makes it work it is so gorgeous he was made for a movie like this because he is obsessed with and plays with time and space it's all about scale yeah I don't think there's much actually scale in, in, in to do with things being giant versions. Like he has this obsession with giant. Well, he goes into he's got memories as a kid where yes, he's under the there table. You go. That's the scale stuff. Yeah, there and all the some. forced perspective. Yeah, yeah, I knew there was something. Yeah, yeah. So totally. And there's the amazing scene of them in the giant bath, which is actually the sink, and it's fucking so funny and silly looking and just perfect. And it is that weird thing of being able to remember how small you were, you know, because we have some kind of barely conscious memory of it. But yeah, so like this is in a way, it's kind of sad that Gondry has never, as far as I know, I haven't seen absolutely everything he's done, but he's never really kind of hit these heights again. Has he? No. Yeah. No. Like, I don't think he's made something as amazing as this. 
it's weird that neither Kaufman nor Gondry really ever got big because they both are so weird. But this movie kind of takes the best of each of them. Yes. And so it totally works. Yeah. But when they go back on their own, like Science of Sleep is not a very audience friendly film like this is i think this is more friendly to the audience yeah it does like i mean i suppose a wide audience includes a hell of a lot of people and when we went to see this in the cinema there were definitely some people who were there to see the latest jim carrey Mm -hmm. romp and were just kind of talking through the movie there's just enough rom-com to work for some of them uh, yeah well some of them are gonna not this crowd so yeah no but it does it does have a kind of a wider appeal but I just think just even artistically, I don't think he's hit Mm. these heights again, which is, you know, it's kind of sad to say, because like, I still haven't watched Human Nature, but it's just, I I hear it's not great. And it's, it's kind of a misfire from Gondry. It's got interesting ideas, but yeah, Yeah. I don't remember it being that great. Yeah. Yeah. Like a friend of mine said 10 minutes worth of good ideas in a 90 minute film or whatever, you know, so I can, I kind of, that's the notion I get, which is means I, you know, just never kind of get around to it. And then what else he made Science of Sleep, as you mentioned be kind rewind is definitely fun and has a lot of good sweeting of films in it yeah but it doesn't really hang together as a movie that well no it's a more commercial idea i think it is it should have worked better yeah and then there's green hornets which i hear was just bad i've forgotten that he was involved with yeah. that so yeah. yeah i don't even remember how i know i know i saw it yeah really yeah i remember bits but it went out right out of my brain yeah yeah that's it's sad because i just do think he's an incredible talent and then he has done this thing on netflix with jim carrey and i watched the first episode of that where jim carrey is playing like a mr rogers kind of oh kidding kidding yeah yeah, yeah that was really good the kidding is another thing was, was really good. i watched the rest of it recently okay. i had only watched the first episode or two yeah. And I really liked it, but it is not audience friendly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You have to care <laughs> about this ex- eccentricity and perversion and darkness. So, like this is, or you're out. Yeah. This is this is strange though. Like you're suddenly revealing this care for an audience that I wouldn't imagine you have. Since when do you care about? No, what it's not that. It's not that I have it. It's that it's important to know whether or not a movie has it. I got you. the problem. Isn't whether you're friendly to the audience or not. It's you need to know, you need to know whether you're friendly to the audience or wider not. audience. Yeah. Don't pretend your film is big mainstream yeah. blockbuster if it is yeah some little filmmakers think too much of themselves yeah and there's also like the problem where the director knows exactly what it is but the marketing team get a hold mm-hmm. of it and like well we can chop these yep. bits out and really push the rom-com angle and it's like oh no but the, then people are going to hate my movie because you'll have created false expectations and they're like well you want to you want butts in seats this is how you do it right ex machina is a thriller that yeah is going to include violence and action yeah if you trust the trailer <laughs> yeah eternal sunshine is a fun little romantic comedy romp yeah with not too weird don't worry it's not too weird just come and see it please I at promise. one point he yells upset in the trailer yeah. i think yeah <laughs> but you don't know why yeah and speaking of kaufman and trailers there's a great trailer for adaptation which uses under pressure mm. by queen and david bowie and <laughs> I, I think it's a great trailer and i think it really it does communicate the madness of that but maybe it kind of trailer makes it feel a bit faster or, or so you know yeah but it works it just communicates how mad it is and how much in somebody's head you are when you're in right. you know and it's just like and it focuses on you know this is charlie kaufman and it just builds and builds with the music that you can just imagine you know and the, and the, the editing gets it's just a really well constructed trailer mm-hmm. adaptation minute coming in 2025 <laughs> <laughs> or thereabouts, <laughs> or thereabouts. <laughs> 
God, I better get to work on it now. I've put a date on it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so we just talked about what's going on in the scene so far is that film screen is between Jim Carrey and I forget the actor's name on the other guy. This is only scene, so don't need to bring it up again. But (laughs) character's name is Frank. Yeah. And he's about to get a race. So bye, Frank. Well, he's got two scenes, but they're both the same scene. (laughs) Right. They're the same scene from a couple different angles. And then he's out. Yeah. And he's talking about his Valentine's Day. He only gets them from his mom. How pathetic is that? Mm-hmm. So it's the same dialogue we had last time. I like, though, that because they've re-blocked it yes. to put that film between it, Joel is not in the scene that was there before. No. He's experiencing it, even though he's replaced himself. Yes. Like Quantum leaped into himself. Yeah, yeah. He is looking around like someone who knows something is happening. Totally. More than he was before. Yeah, because he's re-experiencing his... And what is interesting is that I think as far as I know, they avoided the temptation to create any changes to the lines of dialogue. I think he's saying exactly what he said in the previous scene. Yeah, I was going to put it together and see if the timing was even the same. But ultimately that didn't, I don't think that matters as much. it's the exact words. As long as he does what he does. And I think the idea is it's so fresh in his memory because the process is working with the most recent memory first and working back. So this, it's very fresh in his memory. So it wouldn't have changed yet. Of course, that doesn't really track to reality necessarily. You could have very good recall of uh, some small mm-hmm. encounter you've just had, or you could have just broad strokes of whatever somebody said. Right. I, I just kind of expect every time that I watch the movie, I expect to notice some little difference in the way the dialogue is, but I think it's the same, yeah. He can hear Stan and Patrick in the background, but it's just vague and distant enough. We can't really tell what they're saying. But basically, he's in the moment of them erasing this memory. Mm. And we don't know that yet. Yes. If we're watching this movie with no knowledge about the plot, we don't know what's happening. We know he just took a pill and some people went inside. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's so, oh, I'd love to have, speaking of, you know, I think you spoke to with another guest about this recently. Would you like to erase your memory of anything? And you both arrived at exactly the conclusion that I would too, which is, I'd love to erase my memory of a given movie or TV series or whatever, re-experience it as long as I could switch the memories back on afterwards so that I could compare right. the two. Compare the two. Yeah. Because otherwise it's just, okay, you get to watch it all over. You're replacing it. I don't want to replace it. I want to have a new version of it. Unless you had a very bad first viewing of something where you got it spoiled horribly and you just love to to restart. (laughs) But uh, like, I'm one of these people who I hate spoilers and I even hate like soft spoilers. And the first 10 minutes of any movie, I'm kind of going, yeah, great. This would definitely be just that little bit better if I didn't know the premise of the movie coming in. Imagine I didn't know. Imagine (laughs) I didn't know. How good would that be? And I have watched films knowing nothing about it. And I love it. I just, obviously, if it's a good movie, it it works even better. I think I tried to get someone I didn't think they'd seen from Dusk Till Dawn. Oh, right. And I wanted to show them that without letting them know that there's going to be vampires. Yeah. Yeah. Like they think they're watching a Tarantino movie and now it's a something else. Yeah. And like it's weird the way they marketed that film as well. No, they were not shy about telling you about the change. You know what I mean? No. It, was, it was weird that they didn't hide. They needed to go uh, like Alfred Hitchcock psycho levels where we're not telling we're not you telling what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. We're not even going to tell you the name of the character that some Hayek's playing because that's going to confuse you. Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't really like From Dust Till Dawn, but it, it would have been enjoyed it more. Every time I've seen it, I disliked it a little more. Like I, <laughs> yeah. I have problems with Tarantino the farther I get from him. Yeah. 
Yeah, I I can understand. But I at the time I loved that switch. Yes, uh, yes, I love the idea of switching genres, and especially it, if it's abrupt. Cause... It's great, yeah. But again, for my first time seeing it, I had seen so much coverage of it on MTV. I was like, boy, I would be having. Yeah, I read about amazing... it in Fangoria. I knew there were vampires. Yeah, yeah, and I'd be like, boy, I would be having an amazing time right now if I didn't know about this this change. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah, yeah. So it's just it's just that thing about spoilers was my point of like I would love for every good movie to just be introduced with like, this is the year it came out. This is the title and maybe the director. And that's it. That's all I need to know about any film. Mm -hmm. And when you sit down with, there are certain people that when you sit down with them to watch a film, you know, the opening credits are starting and it's just like the vibe of the film is kind of unfolding with the music and whatever else is going on. And then they'll say, what's this about anyway? I just like, <laughs> why would you ask that now? If you like, if you don't want to watch it, that's fine. Walk away. But like, you've just said you want to watch <laughs> the movie. I thought we were all just going to watch the movie. Do you want me to pause and tell you? Do you want to read the back of the DVD? We're like, what? <laughs> why? Like, give me 20 minutes. The movie will tell you what it's about. Exactly. Without ruining too much. Yeah. It's just, it's so weird. It's like, you know, nothing about a movie and you're watching it. That is optimal there is nothing to improve you know what i mean <laughs> like it, you've got the perfect situation but yeah it, it's a rare privilege i suppose if i see the movie men mm-hmm. i skipped your podcast when you started talking about it the other day because I, w- I won't listen to that until i've seen it because i i just it, that's yeah, a perfect opportunity it. yeah yeah but that's fine <laughs> that's fine but I'll, I'll i'll catch up it's a perfect opportunity because i know who directed it and i know it's a new movie and that's all i need to know i don't even know who's in it i'm sure he'll do something interesting it's called men that's a very zeitgeisty word that gets me thinking about what it might mean. Just perfect. Yep. And then take me on that journey. And that's great. And don't tell me anything. <laughs> there is something that I think the movie might benefit from people knowing. All right. Is that it is quite graphic. Well, yes, I did know that. I did. Luke Allen was, was it, posting online. About that doesn't that. ruin what's going to no, happen, no. but you should know, should know that. Yeah. Like, don't take your kids to see And it. sometimes... And I don't like say a, that often. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. And I think that has me worried because I'm a bit of a wuss when it comes to... I, I don't have much of a tolerance for graphic violence. I mean, I can take it, you know, if I'm in good... If I feel like I'm in good hands with the director that, you know, the director yeah. thinks I need to see this and if it doesn't feel like he's just trying to gross me out or whatever, I'll, I'll be okay with it, you know? Well, I think there's a little of that too. Okay, okay. But anyway, I'll. Oh, yeah. it's Alex Garland. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. There are sometimes kind of anti-spoilers like that. There's like the rise of Skywalker. Sometimes just knowing there's a twist is bad. Yeah, yeah. But there's like an anti-spoiler mm-hmm. where sometimes knowing something about it going in is actually a good thing. Like the rise of Skywalker is not a great film. Oh, yeah. And probably right. the worst thing about it is the hokey thing of just bringing back the Emperor and I'm glad I knew that going in because I was able to just forget about it and yeah. enjoy the ride. And they kind of made sure we knew it ahead they, of time. They made sure we knew it. Which worked. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Worked better than if they'd surprised it worked us. Worked better than it. if they'd surprised us. And it's still stupid and they still shouldn't have done it. But, you know, it made it more enjoyable. Or they could have done it better like Dark Empire because Dark Empire was awesome. I don't want he to was cloning himself constantly. I don't want a clone of the emperor. It wor- that's Dark Empire is such a good story. <laughs> I I, I've never thing. read it. I've just I suppose like when I think of Dark Empire, which I haven't read in fairness, but I just think of like, and maybe this is a subsequent story of but the the, the Luke. The, yeah, is that in Dark Empire from the Last Command? <laughs> that's in, no, that's from the Last Command. Okay. That's the Timothy Zahn trilogy, which came out about the same time. <laughs> yeah, okay. The convergence of the Timothy Zahn trilogy and Dark Empire is what got me back into Star Wars much more. And then I read every Star Wars thing wow. that came out for quite a few years. Wow. 
Yeah. And then I kind of got sick of them when they had so many books coming out that some of them just weren't very good. Yes. Yeah. I've learned bits and pieces about the EU. I had a, a kind of a, a brief dalliance with it because I, a guy that I was getting to know him was one of my few kind of Star Wars friends back when it was the kind of the dark days when there weren't that many Star Wars fans around, you know? And he yeah. was like, oh, I have all these books. I've read them all. You can have them. And he gave me this stack of EU novels. And of course, we're like, I'm not a reader. I do, you know, I now know that I have ADHD and dyslexia, but I didn't know at the time. I just thought at the time that I hadn't met the right book yet, I suppose. Because I, I mean, I have read some books, you know what I mean? But I didn't know, I didn't yeah. know how, to what extent it was a challenge to me. I just thought I was kind of busy doing other things. And that's it. so I got this big stack and I was like obsessed with the chronological order of them. And it's like, oh, there's all these different authors working together and creating this whole continuation and everything. And I read like a good few chapters of the first Timothy Zahn one. And then, and then I read mm, like, the Empire, yeah. and then the courtship of Princess Leia. Because that's set before it. So it's like, okay, well, I'll watch yeah. Return of the Jedi. And, and I read, I think, yeah. And I read like Shadows of the Empire. Or Truce of Bakura, which is set right Truth after Return of the Jedi. And uh, Courtship of Princess Leia. The thing that turned me off, listeners, if you read these books, was Vaughn and McIntyre's The Crystal Star. Because so many things in that book are just wrong. And several of them contradict the other books going on around them. Yeah. Yeah, because they get, they've gotten to a point where the authors weren't really communicating with each other at all. Yeah, yeah, the EU got too it, it got too big apart. too fast, and it it suffered from that yeah. kind of. I just I don't looking back and listening back to what people say about it, and with bits of it come up obviously, and Star Wars minutes when they do a Wikipedia Legends tab deep dive, and it just it sounds really stupid, and you know it, it's kind of the, the kind of thing that like. If I had read them at that age, if I had whatever kind yeah. of treatment for ADHD or, or, you know, whatever would have helped me out, maybe I would have that love for them now. But there's, there's absolutely no point in trying to capture that now as a 42 year old man. No, because now they're ignoring them. It's like, what's the point? Not just that they're not canon anymore, but just like, come on, that ship has sailed. They would be fun to read. If I could erase my memory and erase the like <laughs> neurological phase changes that I've gone through. Yeah. You bring my brain state back. Or at least know which are the best things to read. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if anyone does want to go back, you read Tales of the Jedi. Okay. It's a comic book, Dark Empire, comic book. Okay. Dark Lords of the Sith, the 12 part miniseries that came after Tales of the Jedi because Ula Keldroma and that whole storyline was great. Nomi Sunrider is awesome. And what about Kevin J. Anderson trilogy? Is that any good? Um, Anderson's, which ones were Anderson's? Jedi Academy. Oh, Jedi Academy, great ideas, but they're young adult books. Okay, yeah. Jumping in from editing in case any big Star Wars fans are listening and realize what I just said is wrong. In a few minutes I realize it. I'm mixing up the Jedi Academy trilogy and the Young Jedi Knights. And then the bad things that happened is Crystal Star came out and it was ignoring a bunch of stuff. And then you had Michael P. Cuban McDowell's trilogy which had wonderful ideas, but was trying to be hard science fiction. Yeah. Which doesn't fit with Star Wars. That's an awful lot of it. And it was though. too yeah. dense a writer. He was, it was interesting, but it wasn't Star Wars. Mm -hmm. And then Crystal Star was, they had ongoing storylines with a new character and like new love interest for Luke that had been in multiple books. Yeah. And it was like, this author just didn't care yeah. about that. Yeah. And I liked that character, Cassandra, oh, Cassandra, I think was her name. And they basically just mistreated that character and made her less important maybe just because they liked Mara Mara Jade, Jade okay. too much okay. from, from the Zon trilogy and I love Mara Jade she was awesome yeah. and I did go back to Star Wars when Chewbacca died and the Yuuzhan Vong invasion happened because the <laughs> Yuuzhan Vong are awesome oh really my version you haven't met them in your D&D &D game but my other D&D &D <laughs> game will include them 
my version of D&D's Sarkrith are basically the Yuuzhan Vong. Magic doesn't work around them because they can't access the Force. Yes, yes. So the Yuuzhan Vong are from outside of the... They're from outside the yeah, galaxy. They yeah. come in in Truce of Bakura, don't they? Or, or Courtship of Princess they, Leia? No, they come in in... Um, I forget what the first book one is called. They're one of the few things I read about. I remember reading... Truce of Bakura kind of is the reason they come in, though, okay. because Truce of Bakura mentions the fact that the Empire has things out at the edge of the galaxy guarding against other yes. stuff. okay. And that it is useful to keep some of the Empire's machinery around because yeah. there is other stuff bigger. always a bigger fish but then they don't really come in until much later interesting and then that led to long series like new jedi orders way too many books i jedi is pretty good but new jedi order i was like this is too much and what about the rogue squadron and the those kind of space the comics were good i never really read the novels of those Mm -hmm. because they had rogue squadron books as well yeah their comics were pretty good Mm mm-hmm Tag and Bank comics were always pretty entertaining, oh, yeah. but they're supposed, yeah, to they're supposed to be funny. Yeah. And oh. <laughs> oh, why don't I have a Star, have Star Wars, Wars podcast? <laughs> I'm surprised how much I remember about some yeah. of that. It bugs me sometimes on Star Wars Minute when they're like, like a recent episode, they're talking about jousting on speeder bikes. Yeah. Like, you're like, we that happened. Come on, we did it. Yeah, yeah. That wasn't even in the long Clone Wars show. That was in the short Clone Wars show. Which they never got through. Seen. They were doing a review week of that on the patreon episodes for a while and they Ah. failed on it because they were just not having a good time (laughs) the short one is so energetic and exciting and it includes the world devastators which are straight out of dark empire does it right they've come from yeah i i really like those ones the uh what you call gendy tartakovsky ones yeah they are very actiony and especially the way that pete and alex Mm. tried to approach it on patreon episodes was like this is wow this is way off we're getting now but the way they approach <laughs> it was like it's so piecemeal and you 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 know they're watching it and a minute yeah. at a time there's no dialogue and you're kind of waiting for something and it's not very movies by minute friendly despite being divided into tiny chunks right it was what six minute yeah shorts and then they kind of tie together yeah kind of yeah the episodes were like literally one minute long in the first series i think and then three minutes long in the second series like they were just these mini blips that were in between shows on Cartoon Network or something. And um, anyway, anyway, that is just, I, I, I go and watch Samurai Jack. It's amazing. <laughs> it's about memory, you know, for us. This is why we talk about movies because things like this stick in our heads. <laughs> Perfect segue. I still remember the author's name of the Star Wars book that bothered yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> but I've met Kevin J. Anderson and I couldn't remember which books he wrote. He wrote. Wow, you met him. Yeah, I met him at an X-Files convention. I was going to say the X Files because he wrote the first two X Files yeah, novels, Ground Zero, and maybe he wrote more, but those were the ones I had read. Yeah, yeah. the Ground Zero nearly read that too. <laughs> <laughs> Where were we in the minute? Oh, I would note a specific other practical thing they do because we're getting the dialogue of the scene we've already seen. Frank is louder when he says, "You're lucky you have Clementine, Joel." Yes. So the the key to why this memory is getting erased is louder. Yeah, because that's, that's the thing that that's, bumps up on their machine and they have to pin it down. That's the emotional core uh, that to right. the memory of this yeah. memory is yeah. he brought up Clementine and that made Joel. This is why this is the memory that gets erased. Yeah, great. And then as he continues saying what we already heard about making reservations at a restaurant or end up in Mickey D's, it's getting darker back in that back half of the shot. He's disappearing. Yeah. Joel's not paying attention, even though he does answer. And 
I also noted the blocking is different. Frank walks away. Yes. Yeah. In the first version, course. Joel is walking away while Frank is talking. Yeah. Frank has to go after him. Yeah. And he's like, I've got to go. Because Joel is not that Joel. He's yeah. in the moment. Yeah. He's in the new version of the moment. Yeah. And then we hear Carrie before we're introduced to, and we still don't, I don't think we hear their names for a while. Rob and Carrie. This is Joel's sister and her husband. Is that who it is? Right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. She's Joel's sister. Oh, man. I love these two so much. And these are kind of like, this is what made me realize i don't think i ever kind of registered that this movie isn't really a comedy oh no and i i've always thought it's a comedy it's very funny but it is not a comedy well to me if it's yeah like because i've had this disagreement a couple of times with like uh, well it is is being john malkovich a comedy to you no i think it's sort of the same because even its most comedic moments are usually the most horrifying things happening yeah because to me like in my book being John Malkovich is out and out a comedy. Like it, it has other mm, elements, okay. but it is. Yeah. I mean, much more than this. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. So this is like, I think I just, because I, my way into Kaufman is through comedy. Like, and I just, you know, he's, he's so weird and he's so meta and all of that. And like, to me, the first mm-hmm. thing I think of is just is the humor and like the weirdness and the meta-ness is completely bound up with the comedy of it right but like you know there's in the first half of being john malkovich especially there's just bits that are just sketches you know and they're yeah. do with like comic misunderstandings and all of this even how melodramatic his puppet shows are is totally, funny because totally funny. he takes himself way too exactly. seriously and it's the comic mismatch between how, what a serious mm-hmm. earnest artist he is and how trivial what he's doing and the fact that he's getting punched in the nose for being lewd right. with his street theater and all doing that. a sex yeah, scene on the street yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it, that, like that's comedy in the true sense of like the funniness of the ideas it's what's driving the story and the characters are preposterous people and it's it happens in a comedy universe that wouldn't make any sense which is the setup here but we started with a character who's miserable yeah and the tone doesn't play it as happy yeah and uh, in this minute there's no real jokes but this scene gets funny with yep. david cross and and uh sorry what's the other actress name she's amazing i look i love her in the, the you know handful of things i've seen her in. i should know her name i should know her name i'm doing this show yeah yeah <laughs> So these, they just are so funny together in such an understated, not a very constructed comedy way. They're just, he's just saying something to anger her and get under her skin. And then she Jane just, Adams, Jane Adams, Jane Adams. And she, and, he, and she just throws all the laundry on him because it's just the nearest thing to hand. Mm-hmm. Sorry. That's next week's minute. That's next week. Yeah. But it's just like the dynamic between them and watching this today and laughing out loud made me realize, oh, wow, that's the first thing I found funny in the movie. And I've always of this movie and yeah any comedic beats earlier were painful yeah but there's i think the one that's just quite funny is Osidius the emphatic but you have mm. in your interpretation have run that through with pain as well because that's your idea yeah. which i find very compelling he doesn't is actually that he doesn't know. know any of the constellations because it's been erased because it's close to clementine but yeah, like I just have it in my head as as a Kaufman kind of comedy, and I haven't watched the rest of it in ages. But I like the the way this movie works for me is I've I've seen it so many times that I always you know I've been able to listen to the podcast and know what bit you're talking about, and I go around the house right. all day singing every Thursday, and I need your loving <laughs> because not that you even mention the song, but you talk about no, a man crying in a car or you know he's throwing the cassette out or whatever, and so like the song I can just hear the clink. Clunk, clunk, you know the organ chords and just 
the film is just like I did. I didn't need to rewatch it for this because I, you know, I know it so well. But I did rewatch the first twenty three and a bit minutes here to to just refresh and see where we are and and what we know so far in the movie. And it's great, but yeah, but just surprisingly dramatic and fewer, just way fewer jokes than I thought. Yeah, and we don't know much because now we're back. We're what four or five days ago now yeah. from the present. He says Valentine's Day is three goddamn days yeah. away. The beginning of the film was Valentine's. Yes. Yeah. I want it resolved. I'm willing to be the one to resolve it. You know, he's a nice guy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I call her and she's changed her number. Yeah. And then he's describing it. And I like this because basically the memories are combined. Yes. This scene with Robin Carey is combined with the scene he's describing to them, which is him at Antic Attic, you know, a little knickknack store or whatever, mm-hmm. buying a necklace. And writing out a card says, Clem, I'm sorry, love Joel. Yeah. As he tells them, so I walked over to Antic Attic, you know, to get her something. I thought I'd go over to work, give her an early. I'm sorry, walk. what is that name? It's not, it's not like it's not antique. He's saying antic. No, it's antic. There are stores called Antique Attic. There's a lot of them. Okay. In New York, all over the place. I couldn't find Antic Attic was a real thing, and he definitely pronounces it antic. Yeah. I, I don't think we see the outside of the shop. Well, does it say it in the script? Is he saying antique strangely or in the script it's antic okay it is a-n-t-i-c so Mm -hmm. it's just i guess it's just a weird gag of like i'm not going to use the brand name i'm going to use something very similar to the brand name or it it might be some in joke that charlie kaufman had with himself where he always finds antique stores to be so cluttered they're antic and weird and crazy yeah he liked that crazy antics Mm -hmm. okay because i i I rewound that a couple of times i was like antic attic okay yeah and then we come back to robin carries and he's holding that gift Mm mm-hmm I don't think he was holding it in the previous shot, which is an, oh, or it was below right the frame. Yeah, but yeah. now we see it. Yeah. And it's that gift he was just talking about. So the memories have merged back again. Mm-hmm. And he says, and you won't believe it. She's there with this guy, this really young guy. <laughs> and she looks at me like she doesn't even know who I am. And this drifts into that scene because the memories are all connected. Yeah. Which is what they're doing. So this makes me need to know, and I don't, I don't want to put you on the spot for your research. This makes me need to know the ages of all three of these actors because i dare say elijah wood might be more age appropriate for kate winslet than because jim carrey is a good bit older at this point than kate winslet isn't he carrie's born in 62 carrie was born in 62 winslet elijah is, wood was born in 1981 yeah and he's definitely closer because she was born in 75 okay so he is six years her junior that is weird. I don't think of her as being older than me. Yeah. I think because I saw Heavenly Creatures, you know, the film where she's a teenager. teenager. Yeah. Yeah. And so I always remember her as being younger. Yeah. I knew Elijah Wood was because I remember him being a kid in film. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's only just. So yeah, she's definitely closer I... in age to, Pat- yeah. to Patrick. Yeah. And this really young guy. And he's like, oh, how much older than Kate Winslet? Uh, that would be 15, 13 years. 13 years. Wow. 62 to 75. 62. Which in movie terms means they're basically the same. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because of the (laughs) lopsided, fucked up expectations that have been created for us by Hollywood. Yep. Because, yeah, this young, exciting girl with weird colored hair is going to totally get involved with you over Elijah Wood. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Don't worry. You still got it, big guy. (laughs) The movie seems to say. (laughs) But in the scene, we see where she works. It is the Columbia Campus Bookstore, which is a Barnes and Noble. Yeah. And so is this like, this is product placement, isn't it? Saying its name earlier is definitely product placement. And we do see the sign. Yeah. But it might have been something with permission to film there is since Barnes & Noble owns the campus bookstore. I got you. 
Yeah. Both entities have to agree. Yes. And so it is actually on, on location. Yeah. And the location might be where she's supposed to work. Yeah. Columbia campus isn't that far from where they live. Was it in the script? Was Barnes and Nobles mentioned? Uh, that it's Barnes and Noble is in the script. Yes. Interesting. So I like, believe. actually, no, I, th- I think in the first draft, it says borders. Borders. Okay. So they asked borders. So borders it may have switched be because they yeah. had a chance of where to film. Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. Maybe she specifically does work at Columbia, Columbia. Campus's bookstore. Yeah, yeah. The location is what we see. Interesting. Yeah. And so they had to go with Barnes and Noble because mm-hmm. that's what it is. Plus, Barnes and Noble has their name big on their inside of their store. Yes. Yeah. So we're going to see it. Yeah. Actually, yeah. Dude, that's interesting. Do they? They do. Yeah, I suppose sh- some shops do have that in, yeah, inside. Barnes and Noble does. you where you are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we still got a Barnes and Noble here in Glendale and it, okay. they have their name inside the store. Yeah, it's kind of a reversal as well because back then they'd have been just like, oh, it's just a big corporate chain store. Now it's like, oh, it, it's a surviving brick and mortar bookshop. You know, it's like, <laughs> oh, oh, wow, it protected. It's it's the little guy, you know. This movie's actually just early enough that Barnes and Noble is definitely doing okay. Yeah, they would be. Yeah. Like Amazon hasn't really taken over everything no. yet, but they do exist. Yeah, people would have been predicting the demise of brick and mortar bookshops by mm-hmm. this time. Yeah, yeah. And from Clem's perspective, it's just she works at some chain store that she, what she calls herself a book yeah, slave. Book slave. Yeah, yeah. She's a little bit insensitive. <laughs> She's uh, showing her white privilege, <laughs> slavery. Really, really, Clem. You want to talk about slavery? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or that's just how Columbia Campus runs their bookstore or Barnes yeah, and yeah. Noble. <laughs> In the script, her hair was supposed to be magenta in this scene, okay. which would have, I think, confused audiences because we wouldn't know where we are. Yes. And I think they want us still to not know what the order of events is. And so her hair is the blue that we already saw with the roots showing. Yeah. Because this was only a few days ago. Yes. It was only a few days ago. Yeah. I've never actually laid out the chronology. I've always kind of satisfied myself that it hangs together. I believe it does. Yeah. We'll figure it out as we go. Yeah. And I, when I'm watching it, I have enough of the, ah, yeah, this is before that, this is before that. You know, I never have kind of laid it all out, but I'm always kind of, you're catching up as you go and it it it, it always kind of clicks. But I would love to kind of just do, I'm, I'm <laughs> one of the many projects that I do entirely in my head and just kind of get all mm-hmm. of the satisfaction of task completion just by imagining doing it. Well, you know, I'll never do it. Right. But there's lots of movies and TV shows that I want to do a chronological logical cut of a la memento because memento yeah. memento be easy you just well no memento's done chunks. you know it's 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 on the dvd as an extra oh that's right and so and the there. cool thing about it is like it's only frustratingly a couple of people have said this about memento where it's like i you know a, a guy said to me before it was like yeah but if you, if you ever watch it it's on the dvd you can watch the whole thing in chronological order it's shit and he was saying it in such a way as he thought that that was somehow exposing that the film was actually shit. Did you only think oh, it's right, good no. because of the way it's edited? And it's like, but the way it's edited is part of the film. <laughs> you know, that's right. Like, that's the story. That's the story of the film, because it's an incredibly clever way to put the audience in the same position as the protagonist of not knowing, just walking into a moment when you show it chronologically, it's very interesting as an exercise, but it would never be a way to watch the film your first right, time. Right, it wouldn't be good to I watch. mean, it's it's just a guy sitting on all of the black and white interstitial sections, which go forward in time in the film, are the first mm-hmm. thing you see, and you see them all in order, and they're just a guy sitting on a bed talking, talking to someone. Yeah. Again, uh, the, which on its own, oh, which is on its own, it's not a good intro. Never, yeah, you would never make the film that way. 
So just the idea that it somehow like exposes, you know, shock. The film was shit all along. You you got <laughs> fooled by uh, good filmmaking. Put this movie in chronological order. Yeah, it's going to get really weird. And of course, it won't make sense because his experience is not the same chronological order as what we see. Yeah. So what you would have to do if you wanted to do a chronological cut of this is like some sections of this film are objective camera. We kind of see the camera as an omniscient narrator and we take it for real. And then huge chunk of the film is just all these memories and all the memories come first because they start with like Joel being a little baby and everything. So there would have to be, Mm -hmm. I think you would kind of have to put like, in my mind, when I do this, it's very academic and it's not trying to create a nice narrative movie at all. It's just like, these are all the scenes in order. Yeah. And so you would put a thing up on the screen that says everything here is highly subjective and is not represent, you know, doesn't represent like an, an omniscient narrator. It's just these memories. And so you would show all the stuff of him being a kid and then you would kind of catch up and bring all the way up to um you know scenes like this and then you're transitioning into the real life stuff the real world stuff and i would like to see it all played out the other chronological cut that i should have mentioned yesterday is not so much chronology but i just love to make a version and i don't know if you've ever discussed this or thought about this for groundhog day i'd love to watch groundhog day with all of the loops cut out so you just I did that you did it it's on Vimeo. Amazing. Yeah, I called it Rita's Groundhog Day. Rita's it's basically Day. the day before the loop and then the last and day. And the last day. Yeah. And so this is what Rita knows of film. Oh, fantastic. It doesn't flow as its own story, but it does it, show it, you. It sheds light on that, exactly that. I'm so glad I asked. All the bad things he like, did in the middle. Yeah, it's so perfect that you did that because I've had it in my head when I rewatched it last year. I was like, the transition is not very good because I didn't know how to put a new music over the cue. Yeah, so yeah. it just kind of fades out of one and into the other. Oh, that's fine. Like I said, this is a cold academic study. It's not meant mm-hmm. to be Yeah, it doesn't have to be new. perfect. It's just yeah, yeah. what's there. Luke made a version of About Time that's like that as well. I don't oh, really? know if that's online anywhere. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah. yeah. I've never seen about time. So I made a shorter version of the room too, but that doesn't take any time loops out. It just <laughs> makes it better and shorter. <laughs> makes it mercifully shorter. Cuts out some sex. Yeah. Yeah. So chronological cuts. Anyway. Yeah. I've, I've, I just wanted to, to interject with that. They, they aren't meant to be their own films. If you're going to make them your own films, you have to really re-edit them oh, and yeah. change music. Cues Absolutely. And for my, the room one, I tried to make it flow. I overlapped music from different sections because I knew better how to do that yes. by then. Yeah. I made the groundhog thing a decade ago. I made the room just a couple of years ago. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was a lot easier. I took the songs that play during a sex scene. I cut out and played that song during the party later. Okay, cool. So that the song's still in there. Yeah, For people who love the really bad songs. (laughs) I tried to make that one an actual film. Yeah. But you don't have to, especially when it's playing with time. You just want to see how they go. Like when they go backward. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Just maybe have a couple of titles on the screen saying that we're moving from memories to the real, inverted commas, world. Yeah. So the end of this minute is just that she looks up finally and says, he's not even in frame yet. Says, excuse me, can I help you find something, sir? We see Joel in the bookstore looking sad. There's a beat and minutes over. Yeah, this is talks. this is one of those moments that once you've seen the film loads and you know the trick and you know the premise, it's easy to forget how clever this is as writing because this just looks like a, such a cold, mean thing mm-hmm. to do. Can I help you, sir? And being completely professional and like she just like she didn't know me and she like she literally doesn't know you, dude. You know, and it's just right. it's so like because the Clementine that we know is capable of being quite 
kind of cutting and certainly fiery and yeah but but this is a different type this is a coldness that is just it's so chilling it's so it's so mean well right if you don't know the time exactly. what's happening yeah. This moment is really hard. We just saw her being so nice and coming on to him. And then they broke up and we don't know what happened. And she, yeah, yeah, this is horrible from his perspective. This is awful. Totally. And then we just cut in our, in our minute here, we cut to Joel's reaction and it's kind of like, there's a bit in next week's minute that that'll kind of continue from that, but it's almost perfect the way it cuts here because it's just this lost disbelieving yeah. expression on his face. He's left like, just standing what there. What the hell am I supposed to do with Nothing this? makes sense. Exactly. Yeah, it's great. And this is our cue of what's going the end of the film is. Mm-hmm. We only know what it's like for the two of them, but also what is he a race of other people? What kind of friends did they only have when they were a couple? Yeah. Then now they walk up to him and he's like, I don't know you. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else? No, I think um, we covered all of the Star Wars Extended Universe information that I set out to mm-hmm, cover mm-hmm. at the start of the night. And so Good. that's everything. That line won't make any sense if you've cut all that out, which I presume you will. And I realize now, actually, no, I'll keep that in because I realized the <laughs> Jedi Academy books by Anderson are not the ones I was thinking of. I was okay. thinking of the young adult. Jedi Jason High. and Jaina are there. <laughs> it's not called that, but yes. And there's a Wookiee friend of theirs. Yeah. And it's kids going to the school. The one you were asking about is actually pretty good yeah. because the villain in that takes so long to get him to be the bad guy that you know why he is doing what he's doing. Cool. Is yeah. that Luke is holding him back. Mm, mm. And you get some of the best use of the force. Star Wars Minute could talk about this in a recent episode. Yeah. They didn't, but <laughs> because they pull a Star Destroyer out of space. Right. That takes a bunch of Jedi together, but they, they yank a Star yeah. Destroyer down. Yeah. That's cool. And the main dude, why am I forgetting his name? Jumping in to say, Kip Duron. And what I'm about to say, sorry I said star, I meant the planet Yavin. Oops. The Jedi who goes bad pulls a spaceship out of a star because that's where they put it so no one could have it. <laughs> and he yanks it out with the force. And it is a great scene because at that point he's like, you know, fuck you. I'm more powerful than you can teach me to be. Wow. I'm doing what I'm going to do. Yeah. So he's the Kylo Ren of the situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like, sorry, a starship inside a star. They had a ship called the Sun Crusher that it blows up stars. It's kind of like what they do with the Starkiller base. Yeah, Starkiller base. But it's this little ship that can go in and like cause like hydrogen, like the balance of stars. It was was vague. But it blows up stars. But in order to do that, it has to be able to withstand the pressure of a star. So they, because they can't destroy it. I think they get quite hot as well. Yeah. They push it into the star next to Yavin. Yeah. Because they're at Yavin 4. So they push it into that star so no one can get it. Mm. And he goes and pulls it back out Wow! because he wants it. He's got a revenge story that he's in the middle of, and he's the protagonist of his story. Yeah. Yeah. Luke can't hold him. Interesting. But that's all just legend now. Yeah. <laughs> he lives now only in my memory. Were you pissed off when they decanonized it? Uh, by then, I don't think I cared that much. If they had done that when the prequels came out, it would have bugged yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. Because that was while I was still kind of paying attention to the books. You were invested. In the comics. By the time Disney bought it, 
I was done with that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Because I saw early discussions when Disney announced they were going to make seven, eight, and nine, and I just saw this like these threads on I forget what forum it was even on. I was like, who do you think is going to play Mara Jade, guys? Right. And I was like, oh, oh. Oh, bless. Oh, poor you. <laughs> you're, you're in for a big letdown. There's not going to be a marriage. Yeah, you're not it's getting like, that. What? You're getting whole new people. Yeah, but it's like, it's so, I guess it's just so real to people. And it's just like, none of that is Lucas. He's not that, none of that's canon, you know? And there's, uh, there's still arguing mm-hmm. over what was and wasn't canon. And like, right. and Lucas totally read all those EU novels and he totally believed it all. And it's like, no, he fucking didn't. No, he signed off on he them. Signed off. There, he were, there them. were merch. They were merch mm-hmm. and for any of them to be good is awesome. And if you enjoyed them, that's fantastic. And they still exist and they're not all out of print. And those that are can be bought secondhand. And it's not, you know what I mean? They're still mm-hmm. there, you know, but the fact yeah. that people got so kind of worked up about it. and all, all that really, because of the way Canon worked is like, none of them were Canon in the first place. Right. There was this level called T Canon, which was all the TV stuff, which was secondary Canon to the main G Canon, which is George. Yeah. The Ewok films, the cartoons. Yeah. So basically the EU stuff wasn't demoted. It was just passed up for promotion. Yeah. It didn't get promoted to the same level of Canon as the movies. It's just stated at its own, at the level it was already at. I guess they stopped making things in that continuity is really what people were pissed off. And then now with their TV shows like Mandalorian, they bring some of those details back. Sort of. Yeah. But they got to find new ways to bring it in. Well, it would be boring. It's like the MCU has to reimagine how people become who they were in the comics. Yeah, which is fun. Which is fine. It's fun. And canon, this conversation staying in because this is what <laughs> Eternal Sunshine is about. It's just about personal canon. Yeah, head canon. What is part of your story or isn't? Yeah. You can ignore parts of it. Does that mean the other part's good? What about when there's a callback to some book that is now not part of the story? And how much do if we Shizor like shows up, Shizor. what do we think of him? <laughs> That's when I read. I actually read Shadows of the Empire in full. <laughs> but uh and how much do we create our own canon? I want Trioculus <laughs> and Triclops. Both. I know who those people are because of <laughs> fandom being amazing. I, I was I kept trying to bring it back into Eternal Sunshine, but you're just you're just legend. Well, this all is over the that. point. It's a, whatever memory you have, <laughs> like his thing with constellations. Yeah. If you, I remove my context of Star Wars from my memory, so I can experience the movie again. What do I think of those uh, books? Or are those all get erased too? Yeah. In which case, what was I doing in the nineties? Yeah. And what were you doing? And what about all Not reading Star Wars? Yeah. <laughs> and all the conversations you had with friends about Star Wars and all of the mm-hmm. ways it all of the ways Star Wars has touched our lives would all be erased as well. And it would be there would be so much collateral damage, it would be insane. The other thing I was thinking about, and here here's here's a little thought about that's actually directly related to to the movie is that if a lot of the time when i'm listening to this particular podcast all podcasts but this kind of probably more than others because it hits a lot of my buttons about like things that i Mm -hmm. need to go on rants about and you know the stuff about memory and perception and consciousness and language and existence and existential matters and all of that stuff so like one of the things is like when you asked forget who the other guest was dick tracy minute guy i think was talking about oh parker yeah parker hey parker so we, you, you and he had this discussion about whether it is whether you would want to actually delete any memories. And one aspect yeah. of that that I was kind of, you know, pausing and talking out loud to my car radio like an insane person was saying that, like, I think if you did that in real life, if you could delete the like cognitive memories of some awful traumatic event, which is probably what people would choose to do. Yeah. I don't think 
from what little I know about trauma and how it works, I don't think the trauma would go away. I think the trauma. No, is I mean, if, if it was immediate, yeah, you could sort of take a lot. Yeah. But I, I also, I think I said it in that conversation. I think you'd need to know that you erased. You something. would know. You would need. You would need to know that you erased it. But I, I also think erasing the emotional core is yes. maybe the key. Yeah. Yeah. Not erasing the memory because I think that would be so slippery to get that emotional core. And I, and I, I started thinking. I was like, oh, that'd be actually a good premise for a short story or something, which is like somebody deletes the cognitive memory of some awful kind of PTSD inducing mm -hmm. as like an experimental treatment for PTSD. And they're still, oh, wait a minute. That's the plot of, I just caught myself. That's why I think that's the plot of that fucking fiction podcast that got changed into, that got turned into an Amazon series with Julia Roberts. It's really good. I forget the name of oh, it. Oh, that is, yeah, yeah. Some of that, yeah. You can maybe I'll add, I'll insert the name it. in the end. Yeah, yeah. That show was called Homecoming. That's what sometimes you have an idea and it's actually just a memory. Wow. I was also thinking that's the plot of Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Go on. Is it? A breakup is traumatic. Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and he's they, they break why. up. Their trauma is yeah. still there, which is why they latch onto each yeah. other again. Yeah. And they're looking that's why she that can't be with Patrick. Yes. Yeah. Because she erased most of Joel, but yeah. there's still something. The whole dynamic between Clem and Patrick is so brilliantly written and played and everything. Oh, Patrick's because a problem. He's, he's a huge problem, but it's so perfect because in real life, when nothing to do with, you know, erasing memory or anything, he's a perfect kind of rebound boyfriend because there's, there's no connection, mm. but he's pushing hard and she's making herself believe that it can work. And she's, yeah. you, you know, really forcing it. And you can see that and the way there's no kind of chemistry between them, but he's contriving all these things. It's so perfect. And he's just, I mean, he's obviously, uh, yeah, he's a problem and he's in, he's like a disgust. He's a pervert, you know? Yeah. He was going to be an interesting conversation. Yeah. When we yeah but he, I just, I actually love doing that stuff. aspect of the film and it just, you just looking at it and you, when the nature of their relationship is kind of made clear later on in the film, you just kind of for Clementine as an audience, you're just like, no, no, don't, you know, don't fool yourself. Don't, mm -hmm. you know, buy into this. And it's so because everything from him is so hollow and at some level she knows yeah. that and it's just i just i love that aspect of it and i love the trick that this movie pulls off and some people don't necessarily think this works but i think it works amazingly of like having the subplot of the characters the people of lacuna inc yeah that could have even been more because there's so many interesting angles about what doing this it does to how people. it affects them yeah you know, like to Stan, it's just a job. Yeah. He's just the guy who does this technical work. Mark Ruffalo. To the doctor, he yeah. probably feels like he's doing this great good deed yeah. for everyone. Yeah. Jeff said is probably free. And then Patrick is that guy who's like, how can I use this to make my life yeah. better? Yeah. And a little sleazy. We don't see much sleaze of it because by the time we realize what he's been doing, it's too late for him and he leaves the story. Yeah. And the doctor and Mary is horrible, but yes. Yeah, that's later. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But I just and the, but the fact that Mary's choices about sending tapes out to everyone and, and, you know, using her knowledge and the database that she has access to to blow up the whole thing and the way that kicks back to Clement and everything is like, that's not easy to do. And you are at this towards the start of the film. You're like, why am I spending so much time with Mary? What is this? You know, she's just the secretary in the thing. And I guess she must be a bigger character because she's played. Yeah, by, and she gets drunk and high. And yeah. Really? Yeah, but I no, I just I love I love all that. Great movie. Yep. Five stars. <laughs> would, would recommend. What other movie or podcast would you recommend, perhaps with you in it? I think 
1999 Charlie Kaufman, Spike Jones comedy, being John Malkovich, is a corker. I think it's a, it's a belter. <laughs> I recommend watching it one minute at a time. And <laughs> along with me, come with me on this minute by minute journey, Malkovich, Malkovich, minute, minute. And uh, if you go to MalkovichMinute.net, save you typing out the whole thing. You can listen to the episodes there and you can connect with yours truly on the various socials. And before we go to the outro, I will say, to anyone in the future listening to this because you're doing the Movies by Minutes podcast about the last syllable of recorded time, <laughs> I'm going to try to structure that film in minute segments <laughs> so it cuts perfectly for your show. That's great. I'm thinking of you. Oh, yeah. And you can play this clip for free in your episode. Good the talk. circle is now complete. And I will be a guest or a recurring guest if you want. <laughs> and I will betray everything I wanted to say with the film and say I was wrong and it, no, that meaning wasn't there. I failed. Oh, great. I'll come up with new theories about how everyone's an angel. It's on the movie. <laughs> yeah. Like I didn't. Yeah. Write. Yeah. <laughs> I did for legal purposes. <laughs> I absolutely wrote the last syllable of recorded time. Oh, this is great. I'm just seeing a cart and a horse and they're just somehow in the wrong order. <laughs> that should have been the name of my <laughs> podcast about it. The cart for the horse. This is the cart. That'll be my intro. Thank you. <laughs> I'll be welcome to the first syllable. This is the cart <laughs> before the proverbial horse. Ah. <laughs> anyway, thank you for listening. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Minute is just one part of an existential trilogy of podcasts. Tune in every Tuesday for Minutia Ex Machina, every Wednesday for the Groundhog Day Project Minute by Minute, and every Thursday for more Eternal Sunshine. And you can follow all three shows on one feed. Just search an existential trilogy. Follow this show on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Spotless Minute. This has been a production of Lemming Drops Studio. You can find links to more at lemmingdrops.com or join the Facebook group Lemming Drops Studio Tour. Also, you can support all my shows at patreon.com slash lemmingdrops. Until next time. This is it, Joel. It's going to be gone soon. Okay, we'll I know. What do we do? I want to call it off. Enjoy it. Can you hear me? I don't want this anymore. I want to call it off! <laughs>